And now, The Road. Welcome to The Ropes. I am Rafe Bartholomew, an editor at Grantland, and I'm joined, as always, by my man, Brian Campbell from ESPN.com. He's looking a little gaunt right now. I wouldn't talk to him today unless he'd agreed to weigh in at 157 pounds. He's almost there. Brian, you hanging in there? Yeah, yeah. This is what life is like on the B-side, but I'm hanging in there. Uh, you know, this, 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 when, you, when you do a podcast with Rafe Bartholomew, it's <laughs> Rafe Bartholomew's family of Rafe Bartholomew and no one else comes first. You understand? Such a diva. You're killing me. Oh, well, you know, Brian, look, it, let's, let's jump straight into, uh, well, all right. So we're going to have a, we're going to talk about Miguel Cotto, of course, the diva, Daniel Gill, uh, their fight this weekend. Uh, before that, let's talk a little bit about the welterweight division, uh, coming out of a weekend that was pretty, pretty packed with some interesting welterweight action, especially that, that exciting fight between Amir Khan and Chris Algieri. Yeah, it was uh, lucky to be ringside for that in Brooklyn. Uh, special Friday night card that delivered above and beyond what we thought, Rafe. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been on a, a few different platforms making this speech this week, but I really felt that Algeria sort of stole the thunder of the evening, stole the thunder of the moment. This was supposed to be Khan's uh, essentially final showcase as he's sort of laying in wait two years in advance, trying to get this Floyd Mayweather fight this fall. And you had a guy in Algeria who had, in some circles, become a catch, uh, you know, sort of a, I'm sorry, become a sort of a punchline to a lot of people. You know, he's illogically confident. He's got all those sayings and all that. But he's a guy who works really hard. And in his first fight with trainer John David Jackson, we saw Chris Algieri essentially expose and bring out all of the fears that are in the back of your mind if you are an Amir Khan fan and you give him a chance to make a good fight against Floyd Mayweather. Even though you give credit for Khan making the adjustments, winning this fight against Algeria, and if Algeria really had had any more power than he had, we may have seen a much different finish. But Rafe, how impressed were you with what Chris Algeria was really able to do in there? Man, I was impressed on multiple levels. One, just the obviously the game plan that they came out with, which was sort of the opposite of what we've seen in Algeria's style until then instead of moving and boxing and, tra- and, and trying to outbox uh, a Khan who we everyone knew was going to be quicker and a better boxer than him, Algeria just sort of bit down on his mouth guard, walked forward and tried to land punches and, and turn it into more of a brawl and and fought a style you know that we never saw him fight and he fought it well. I mean he he obviously you know to to really be that kind of fighter you need punching power and that is uh, unfortunately for Algeria the thing he doesn't have. But man, he was successful. He he seemed to hurt Khan. A few times and he he won rounds and and made a, a name for him. i mean you know not only did he steal some of the thunder he could have stole robert guerrero's famous pbc line i won the hearts of america um people <laughs> were really feeling algeria right there i mean he and, and he deserved it i mean i was impressed he also i thought looked better uh in his second fight at 147 pounds which isn't that surprising right i mean he's getting more used to the weight but he looked more solid he looked more comfortable uh he took you know a, a lot of good shots from Khan and and man I mean I, I think a lot of credit goes to Algeria and and his ability to just you know change up fo- uh, make adjustments follow a game plan and and make it a much harder fight than people guessed it would have been 
Yeah, in the way you know, you saw from the opening bell when they stood across from each other. It was one of those rare fights where you're like, "Wow, Algeria's not just bigger than Khan; he's way bigger than Khan." I mean, it was really startling. We're used to Khan being a tall junior welter and welter. Algeria was taller, looked a little bit broader than him in, in that regard, mm-hmm. and he did something really good. I mean, he didn't necessarily brawl, but he fought a, a safe, educated action style. I mean, I don't really mean safe; he did put himself in harm's way, but it was a there was some thought process into it. I mean, it was really educated fight. What it what it amounted to was really one. Of my favorite kind of fights, which is what I call high-speed chess. I mean, it was it was boxing, but it was done at a at a very fast level because they have hand speed, and it was done very smartly in the sense that they were throwing power punches, but it wasn't reckless. And what Algeria was able to do was land right hands over the top, but essentially land looping right hands that went over the top of Khan's defense, and it really exposed the fact that. Look, the biggest thing on Khan, whether he's ever going to have a chance against anybody, is always that chin, you know? And since he moved to 47, you can argue he hasn't faced a puncher, you know, facing Colazzo and Alexander. But there's sort of some thought, if you believe Khan, that cutting to 140 for so many years, he had extreme cuts to 140, like militant extreme cuts, that now not having to do that, the chin issues would go away. But what was exposed in this fight wasn't the chin issues. It was more the fact that he defensively, he still lost against power punches come over the top. He It took him basically six rounds to fully adjust to the fact that anytime Algeri wanted, he could bend at the waist from distance and still land these hard looping shots over the top. And Rafe... Who's the best in the sport at landing pot-shotting single power shots over the top at any point that he wants? Well, you could probably say that would be Floyd Mayweather, who uh, <laughs> who has quite a, a nice reach of his own, as uh, we've seen most recently against Manny Pacquiao. Uh, and always an underreported reach. Floyd has you know, incredibly long arms for that weight class. It just sort of re-exposed that as much as you want to make that argument, and I have wanted to for a long time, that Khan offensively has the prototype from what we've seen in the past to give Mayweather problems. He's got the speed, the length, that one of the most accurate jabs in the game, the, the, the quality uh, punches and bunches, the the one of the best combination punchers in the game, but he was still deer in headlights when he started getting tagged over the top, whether Algeria's power had much effect or not. He still doesn't know how to fight on the inside. His defense is still not strong. Yes, I'm holding him against this one fight where six months ago when he did, the, when he, you know, did torch Devin Alexander, I was the guy saying, look, this guy might be able to beat Mayweather. So now am I flipping the script just one fight later? Yeah. You know, that might not be fair, but he really showed you all of those negative qualities in one night in a fight that should have been his showcase effort. Well, I don't, yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's a good point. No, but uh, move, let me let me let me bring up the other sort of showcase welterweight fight of the weekend, which was Kell Brook, uh, Amir Khan's British countryman, who did look good as goddamn hell against uh, you know knocking out Frankie Gavin in six rounds uh, over in the UK. Now, Frankie Gavin was probably low, regarded uh, more lowly than, than Chris Algieri going into this fight or, or thought to have even less of a chance maybe against Brook. But I'll tell you, for me, Kel Brook looked really good. And, and I'm the guy who, you know, based on some of his, his tendencies to fight down to opposition like Carson Jones and some of the trouble he had with Senchenko in the past, I'm the guy who, who went out on a limb and was like, maybe JoJo Dan can beat him and look stupid. Yeah. So, I mean, I was the one who, who was not really a Kel, Kel Brook believer uh, not because of his talent, but just because I wasn't sure of his intangibles. Now he's looking so confident and just so sharp every time out that even if JoJo Dan and Frankie Gavin aren't 
uh, you know, A opponents to have on his resume, he's starting to look like really one of the top welterweights in the top fighters in the welterweight division. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, man? Yeah, we can't hold the Carson Jones situation against him anymore. And that was sort of his, you know, look back watermark, like, well, what about this fight when he just really was overwhelmed in their first fight? Something definitely changed in Brooke. There was a maturity level. And what you're seeing is a smooth, cool, you know, slick boxer who has some pop and has the intentions to look to take you out. This has not been difficult competition in his most recent fights since that Sean Porter fight when he won the title. But he's done exactly what he needed to do. He showed you that this guy right now, you know, we may not know his true ceiling, but there's very little to not like about what he's doing. It's really just a well-rounded, solid effort in every one of these defenses across the board. And it's starting to raise a question here. I mean, we talk about, you know, who has the best chance against uh, Mayweather. Would Khan give Mayweather the best fight? Well, maybe we should ask as much as we might want to see Khan versus Brooke, because I actually think that's a real 50-50 fight and maybe the best fight you can make in the division right now. Rafe, who actually has a better chance against Mayweather? Is it Khan or is it Brooke? Well, this is one of those funny things where, where Brooke's name is now getting thrown in to this Mayweather question. One, because he's been fighting well and he has a belt at 147, but also because Khan has been making such a stink about begging for a, tri- for a, for a Floyd Mayweather fight for two years now that to sort of like to... to to needle Khan and try and get him into the ring with Brooke. Brooke is saying, well, maybe I should fight Floyd Mayweather then because I look better than Amir right now. So I don't, I mean, it's sort of a, 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 I think it's almost sort of like a, a false question. But at the same time, Brooke is looking better at the weight right now. And he's always, and he's a more solid 147. I mean, he's an extremely solid 147 pound fighter. Uh, and, and he seems like, you know, uh, as athletic and quick and, and, and confident as, as almost anyone out there right now. So he could be a, a good final or penultimate test for Floyd Mayweather. At the same time, I've always liked the way Khan matches up with Mayweather. I think that, yeah. you know, he he's still going to be the fighter that we thought would give him trouble. And I never thought, I, would, I was never picking Khan in that matchup at any point in his, any low point or high point in his career, like pre-Devin Alexander win or post-Devin Alexander win. I thought he would look good. He would look better against Floyd than most fighters we've seen recently because he'd actually be able to land some clean punches, I think, with his, with his, with his hand speed. But eventually I, I would expect you know Floyd to start tagging him, and I don't think that he would take those punches well. So I think Khan would still sort of give you that same effort. He'll give you four rounds. Still yeah. give you fun four rounds to see how Floyd would adjust to that. But Rafe, my thing on that is that two things happened. You know, Khan looked really good against Alexander, and even me. You know, and, and look, I'm a big Khan guy. I love watching. Got a lot of respect for his game. That's why really I'm coming down so hard on him right now. But not just did he look so good against Alexander, yes, but I was under the illusion that Floyd was getting old because of those two Maidana fights. And I think it kind of goes back to what Paulie Malinaji said on our podcast, that it's a different ball game when you're fighting against a guy like Maidana because it's so physically taxing. So it does give the appearance, you know, that, that Floyd was maybe slowing down, mm-hmm. getting older. I was fooled by that. Now when you see what Floyd did against Pacquiao, you see the ridiculous shape he's in, you see how, how fresh he still is at 38. It just makes it even harder for somebody who's the, you know, anyone who's an UltraCon fan to, to believe that he could have more success than that three or four round adjustment period. Alright, for sure. So, I mean, we were talking about it. it was an interesting weekend for the welterweight division, which now just seems to keep getting deeper and deeper. You know, Brooke is, is putting his name in there as a, top, as, a, as a legit top five talent. Khan is always in that mix, maybe in the top box 
bottom half of the top 10. Uh, Algieri, you know, put his name forth as, as somebody who's a real, you know, who's going to give anyone in the division a tough fight because of his, some of his physical attributes and because of his, his toughness and his ability to follow a game plan. So it's look, it just keeps getting deeper and more yeah, talented. Quick. So, I mean, real tell quick, me. Algieri oh, took bombs against Khan in round 10. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, let's not, let's we, not we, let we've that go. We've seen that picture of the uppercut landing. It's, it's one of the most gruesome boxing gruesome. images of the year we've ever seen, period. A lot of guys are going out in that 10th round. I'm going to tell you from ringside. Algieri took about three to four bombs, and we know his chin is good against Provodnikov six times against Pacquiao. He was down, he got up. Let's also give him credit for that because that guy has a legit chin in this division. Right. So anyway, this division is looking deeper and more talented, you know, even than it did six months ago. Uh, so, and this is probably where Floyd Mayweather's final opponent slash opponents are going to come from. Brian, give me sort of three possible Floyd Mayweather fights uh, that that you could see happening. They could be, you know, pie in the sky, dream matches. They could be realistic things. Drop a few names on me. All right. You know, I think if I had to pick one welterweight right now that I could see Floyd fight, I think I'm still going to pick Keith Thurman, even though it's probably not going to happen. Of course, you know, we know it's not going to happen in September because Thurman has a July 11th date on ESPN against Luis Colazzo in the first PBC fight. Because of the, the still unknown that, that circulates around Keith Thurman, you know, the fact that he's such a big puncher, he's in his prime, young and athletic, he can box a little bit, he's physically strong. I mean, here's a guy who could potentially make a physically taxing fight for Floyd. I'm not trying to come on here and saying he beats Floyd, but that's the wild card guy out of the group of, of the realistic options that I think might have the best chance because Floyd showed us again against Pacquiao that he's, he's just not slipping. You know, any guy who's a straight traditional boxer, I love what Kel Brook's doing, but across the board, yeah, he's he just up- going to be down, you know, he's just not as good as Floyd in every one of those categories. Mm-hmm. Khan is a wild card with with the jab and the combinations, but we just don't see him being able to avoid taking clean shots. So Thurman's the guy still I want to see. Uh, a realistic fight that we might not see... Who do you want? I don't know. I still have feelings for seeing Sean Porter against it. I'm not trying to say. I mean, you know, Porter lost the what? title to Brooke. Porter's limited, but he has the bulldozing style. You just want to see someone bum rush Floyd. Right, because we've seen you're not going to beat him if you're a traditional boxer for the most part. But you're going like, to have to The way that Sean Porter him. throws punches sometimes, it looks like he couldn't land it on like a, you know, on a heavy bag. Like he just comes and like chest bumps him. Like well, how is he going to land punches against Floyd? Porter's got a lot of explaining to do from that loss to Brooke. He's going to have to come back against Adrian Broner in a really good fight coming up in June on PBC. You want to see how he's going to look there. That's still a guy, if he can put wins together, you know, one or two, that that is still interesting because of that style. I'm not saying he's going to win, just maybe a guy that I want to see. But if we're talking, you know, if I had my pick right now of anyone to face Mayweather... That's where it gets interesting because, you know, we've, we've never seen Bradley against him, but again, you know, you can sort of have a picture that, you know, what is Bradley going to do? If he's, he's going to box, you know, Floyd's better than him in all those categories. What about Terrence Crawford? If he ends up being as good as we think he is, that is the interesting, you know, of a pure boxer. That's the interesting guy because he can switch to southpaw if he needs. He has very long arms. He's the same height as Floyd. He's so quick, has some pop. That's the interesting Floyd fight. I, I don't think Floyd's going to hang around long enough at 47. And obviously there's huge politics in the way. But if I had sort of a, a dream, hey, I don't really know what it's going to look like. What would I want to see? I might actually like Terrence Crawford. Because, there's, you know, as good as the welterweight division is in terms of being loaded, there's just not a lot of options that could give Floyd a fun fight. So that's where I stand Let's flip the script, though, Rafe, and if we take Floyd out of the mix, what do you sort of look like in the same, you know, looking at it the same way, or really the, the best three fights we can make in the whole welterweight division, not including Floyd? All right, uh, and I, I came up with these not really, uh, I don't know, I didn't have a really rigorous 
criteria of putting these together. But some, and I tried to be a little bit different. You know, everybody right now is talking about Kell Brook, Keith Thurman. That would obviously be, a, a, you know, two fighters at a similar point in, in their trajectory, upward trajectory in the division. That would be great if it happened. But, you know, the, the, there's I, I went for a couple fights that had been rumored before and never worked out for one reason or another. Start with Marcus Maidana and Keith Thurman. Uh, oh, yeah. We've seen Thurman beat Jesus Sotokaras, who is, I, I guess you could say he's sort of like the the homeless man's version of Marcos Maidana. I mean, you know, <laughs> takes a great punch. The shirtless can, can man's punch a little, The shirtless man, yeah. The, the shirtless casino drinker's version of Marcos Maidana. Um, but Maidana has a level of relentlessness and power and just, you know, the, the ability to go you know, grit out fights that that I would love to see, uh, and and it'd just be a great. I mean, it'd be so much fun. The punch guys would be landing punches against each other. Um, Maidana hasn't been stopped. He hasn't been stopped, um, and. Thurman would be a guy who has a shot at doing that. We've seen, I guess, Thurman against types. You know, we've seen him against Diego Chavez. We've seen him against sort of these lesser versions of Madonna. Forget it. Let me see him against the, 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 the final boss of that style of fighter. And, and, and that would be hopefully a, uh, a Marcos Madonna that is in shape and ready to fight. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if we'll ever see that given some of the, the recent pictures of you him. You can make looking... cruiserweight right now. That's yeah, the best he could do yeah. for you, right? Uh, but. The hell with it, you know. And in, in, in my dream world, that would just be an awesome fight. Um, the other one that you know people had wanted to happen a long time ago, and guys started moving on. Amir Khan and Tim Bradley. Bradley, oh, and, yeah. and, and if you're and if you're Amir Khan and you're trying to actually make a case that you should fight Floyd Mayweather next, you know, or or any time before Floyd retires, go beat Tim Bradley. Bradley is the best guy in the division after Mayweather and Pacquiao. If you could beat and 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 he has and Bradley has a real win over Marquez and he has a a a, a sort of a, a paper win over Manny. If Khan can win that fight, then no one is going to have any problems with with him calling out Mayweather and getting that fight. And and you know I would like to see, and that's a fight that Khan was sort of dancing away from at junior welterweight for a oh, while. Yeah. That's uh, still marinating that and fight then, right now. You know, Gamboa <laughs> Lopez is still on the Bob yeah. stove right now. And then it's something that that Bradley sort of had to like draw back from once he got his name put it forward as as the guy who would face Manny Pacquiao in 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 uh, in 2012. You know, he had that weird little Joel Casamayor uh, detour in his career when he you know <laughs> sit on the shelf so he could get the Manny fight, and that's how and you know good for him it worked out he made a lot of money by the way let's Um, you know revisionist history bradley took a big chance trying to get that bradley fight avoiding con and it worked out huge for it did it did um so you know these guys these guys have been marinating for a long time neither of them has uh has gone the route of juanma lopez and and just sort of been destroyed by the by the other losses in their career um it, you know why not make that fight and and that's a, a legitimate way for Amir Khan to actually say he deserves a fight with Floyd Mayweather. Finally, just because uh, it, you know you talk about a cool crossroads fight, if we're high on Kell Brook right now, throw him in there next year against Manny Pacquiao. You know, see if that if he can look, you know, I mean, he wouldn't. No one's going to look as good against Manny as they looked against Frankie Gavin and JoJo Dan. But if he wins that fight, then you know, then we're really looking at a future star in in the sport, not just in the division. I mean, that 
like just launches you into, into the stratosphere. And, you know, I mean, if Manny doesn't recover as well from whatever injuries he may have had, or maybe he doesn't train as well, you know, we've seen him lose. He can lose fights. Uh, Brooke is a good fighter. He's got power. He's not going to make Manny look bad, I think, in ways that, that Floyd did. But, you know, I wouldn't count him out of that fight. No, absolutely not at all. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, not to completely pull you off script right here. I'm I, I, I'm we, unscripted. I'm off the dome, man. We're sort of waiting to see, you know, is Mayweather going to fight Khan? Could he fight Brooke? Could he fight Danny Garcia for all we know? But we don't hear from Mayweather. We don't hear from Al Heyman. I'm, you know, they're not returning my texts. You know, we don't get press releases from them. Is there any chance that we're not putting enough stock in the chance that Floyd, because we don't hear from him, could be doing things behind the scenes and maybe could end up trying to steal Cotor Canelo for this fall? Well, I mean, of course. We thought we thought that was going to happen for this fight in, in May. We thought that he was going to snatch Cotto and, and try and get that lineal middleweight belt off him. And, you know, I mean, that as we know, Miguel Cotto likes to do what's good for Miguel Cotto's family. And another Floyd Mayweather fight is usually good for one's family, at least in the long-term financial sense. Um, and so, it's not easy politically. You know, I mean, just like Maypac wasn't easy politically. I think doing anything else would, would be even harder. But, you know, Cotto's not tied to HBO necessarily. I know there's the Jay-Z Al Heyman issue that would be a bigger hurdle. But it's just it's just interesting. Like, well, see, hey, you, well, we're going to talk about Cotto later on. I guess uh, one thing, before we... we, we you know finish up this section let's talk about you know the welterweight division and how do does the boxing's next star because it still is the the glamour division in the sport true how does the next star emerge from it uh, and and who could it be like one one of the things that's been happening is there are these two very strong tiers in the division where you've got you know whoever you consider at the top level uh of of up and coming fighters the the cons we aren't exactly up and coming but they we haven't seen they haven't truly broken through at the at the Mayweather level. Uh Khan, Brook, uh if you consider Adrian Broil, he's already been beaten. I don't know. There's this top level of guys. There's still that, time for A B. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I bought back in on my stock. I sold it a while ago. I'm back in. Come on. Uh, there's this top level of guys, and there's this lower level of uh, of Robert Guerrero's, of Soto Carras's, of probably Algeria. Saddam Ali, the, don't Alge- yeah, Saddam Ali somewhere in there. Algeria is probably at the higher end of that low level. It seems like instead of seeing top guys fight top guys, and yeah. you know, we're seeing top guys fight you know second tier guys over and over again. Because so we. Ne- Tell me why, my man. Because in this in this Heyman day and age, unfortunately, a lot of these high-end Heyman welterweights, we could be seeing so many good A versus A fights. We're not because I think everyone is preserving themselves, whether it's you know an order that comes down on high or it's a personal decision. It feels like everybody, from Thurman to Danny Garcia to really everyone, is in a way preserving themselves for just Floyd. in case their number comes up for Floyd. And that's been Absolutely. really frustrating. Rather than find out who might be the best for Floyd, you know, we're sitting here debating, well, is it Brooke, is it Khan, is it Thurman? Instead of finding that out, we are instead sort of, you know, they're all waiting around. That's the frustrating part. It kind of makes it hard to know who is next moving forward. You know, is it a guy like Thurman and Brooke for the next five to seven years owning this welterweight division? Or is it really the guys who are in the lower weight classes that have next? The Felix Verdejos, you know, the Puerto Rican prospect, the, the Vassal Lomachenko. How, much, how high could he rise in weight? You know, I mean, welterweight's always going to really be that money 1A or 1B division. But it's interesting to see who's going to have next post Maypack. For sure. Well, one guy who might not be the sexiest choice because he's been around and not always called the most exciting fighter in the sport, but man, is he does he get results? We're about to talk to him right now. Timothy Bradley Jr. Going to talk to him about his upcoming fight with Jesse Vargas and just about the fight game in general. So we're going to call Tim Bradley and we'll be right back.
are pleased to welcome into the ropes one of the pound-for-pound best fighters in the world, a former two-division titleist, and for my money, the best quote in the sport of boxing today. We're talking to Timothy Bradley Jr., who returns to the ring Saturday, June 27th against Jesse Vargas for a vacant welterweight title at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Tim, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me back on again. Pleasure to be back. Absolutely. Well, Tim, this is Rafe, uh, and you know, thank you for being here. And uh, I, you know, I just want to start right off the bat with the with the Vargas fight. Um, you know, Vargas is a good fighter; he's undefeated. Um, but uh, you're probably considered you know, you're going to go into this fight as a favorite. But Vargas, we've seen him get some close decisions that could have been debatable in the past. And and you're coming off a fight where uh, it was a debatable draw that a lot of people thought you won. Uh, are right. you you know are you going to be concerned about judging? Going going into this fight? Um, not really. I'm, I'm, that's, that's the least of my concerns. The only thing I can do is do my job. And I, and I learned that uh, a while ago, man. That's the only thing that I can do in the ring is do my job, do the very best I can. But, you know, uh, we just been we turned, it, turned it up a little bit in, uh, in training. I've been doing things that uh, I haven't been doing in a very long time, just things that got me on top, you know, got me in position to begin with. So, I'm back, went back to my roots, man, and, uh, you know, it's working out, and it's showing in the farm, in the, in the sparring, and, uh, you know, the guys are definitely feeling it, and they when they end up with Sure. Now, when you say you're going back to your roots and training, like, what, what specifically are you talking about? What are you in? Uh, well, I'm, back, I'm back in the pool, man. I'm back in the pool. I haven't been pool workout in a long time, man. I used to do pool workout when I was coming up. Uh, so I'm back in the pool doing, you know, three days a week, um, you know, just trying to build my endurance up, uh, swimming, from swimming to doing different different types of drills in the pool. Um, back doing my sledgehammer work, so I'm, I'm back on the sledgehammer, uh, you know, hitting the tires and stuff, man. Um, I'm back, um, you know, hitting the bag more. I, you know, before I used to hit the bag a little bit, but now I'm hitting the bag a lot more. So I'm just trying to just carry on, um, you know, the power in the later rounds and just, you know, build my strength up. And, you know, uh, yeah, I'm a little bothered by that decision in my last fight, but, you know, um, you never want to go in the ring looking for a knockout. It just has to happen. But, uh, you know, if a knockout comes, man, that's what we want. And we want to, want, to, want to try to get these guys up out of here now because of that last decision I had. Tim, when you look at Vargas, he's, he's a guy who's had a fight off the boring label in, in recent fights. He has recently made a switch in trainers, though, mid-camp, going from Roy Jones Jr. now to the Mexican legend Eric Morales. How do you think that will affect, you know, the version of, of Vargas that you see in the ring on fight night? I, I don't know, man. You know, all this training switching and all this stuff makes no sense to me. <laughs> um, I, I really don't get it. You're one of the biggest fights of your life. So you've been waiting on this for a very long time, and it's just like, you know, you go ahead and you change things up, right? Like a, a month before the fight. It's not real to me. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. But I think I'm going to still see the same bargains. I mean, you got a month. How are you going to change the fighter in a month? How are you going to make them better in a month? need time to work your fighter and develop him. Not even, you don't even know him. You know, uh, it, it takes a lot. It's just like a relationship, man. It takes a little while to get to know a, a woman, man. It just don't take a month and you think you know everything about him. So um, I think it will affect him in this fight. I think it gives me the upper hand. I think that I'm, I'm focused and I'm right in camp. And, uh, you know, I'm doing the things that I used to do. And, uh, you know, I'm looking good in training, man. I haven't had a flat day yet, man. I've been looking on everybody, I can't wait to show everybody what I've been working on, man. And I should be uh, stationed on this fight. 
Tim, before agreeing to this fight with Vargas, there was some talk lingering for a while of you potentially moving up to junior middleweight. There was big money talks of fights against maybe Canelo, Miguel Cotto. I want to know how serious were those talks from your end, and how would you have maybe overcome the, the disadvantages you may have faced at 154? The only disadvantage that I have at that weight is just the weight. That's the only disadvantage I have, but skill for skill. I mean, you know, these guys, I'm right there with them. And uh, I say that because I've been in the ring twice with Manny Pacquiao, who's the most vicious offensive fighter in the game today. There's nobody can, can, can compare to, you know, Manny Pacquiao's speed and power and his quickness. So I, I've been 24 rounds with that guy. I've been 20, uh, 12 rounds with, uh, with, uh, with, with um, Marquez. I've been in there with a lot of young talent coming up. It's another young undefeated talent, you know, and, and I'm going to put that put that one on his resume. That's the goal. And, uh, you know, so I, I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of experience over my opponent. So going up to 154, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm on now. I walk around. I'm an actually big guy. Um, you know, I can just keep man, and I can blow up to 185, 190, man. I, I mean, I can get up there and just walking around and not doing anything. You know, I have a big frame, and, uh, I mean, I eat. Genetically, I just I swell up, man. You know, look at my father. So, <laughs> 54 is a weight class, and I wouldn't mind going up and trying. Try. Why not? Um, I think I compete with those guys, Cotto. Uh, you know, uh, I think I compete with also um, the last guy you mentioned, Canelo, you know, and, and fight for a world championship there. Sure. Now, Tim, is part of that because, you know, now at 147 pounds, you fought Manny Pacquiao, you fought Marquez, you fought a lot of the big names there. And, you know, obviously some of the promotional issues might not get you a shot with Floyd Mayweather down the line. Is it is going up to 154 sort of looking for a big fight? No, it's just uh, just another challenge for me in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, if You know, big fights, of course, you want the big fight. Uh, it just makes more sense. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be 32 years old and on August 29th. So, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Um, I'm getting older. So, you know, you definitely want to, um, you know, get these guys, uh, you know, and fight the best fighters out there. That's basically what I want to do. I want to fight the best fights. Everybody's like, you know, saying like, who's gonna fight Triple G next? I'm like, well, Triple G needs an opponent. Let's go. I'll fight him. <laughs> I'll fight Triple G. You don't mean you that. Know, wow. I, I'm serious, man. <laughs> I'm so serious. I'm I'm not afraid of nobody, man. I'm not afraid of anybody in the sport, man. And you know, I, I've always said they think I'm playing. I said if Chris don't need a dance partner, I'll fight him too. I don't <laughs> care, man. I'll fight the best fighters out there that's available. The best fighters, you know, it's all this, it's all this, this, this garbage in the sport right now. You know, a lot of guys they have their daddy telling them what they need to do, and everybody know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. telling them what they need to do, who they need to fight, yada yada yada. They're calling themselves the best, but they're not the best because they're not fighting the best opponents out there. I'm willing to face the best opponent any day, anywhere. Let's go. Let's do it. The best guys out there I want to face. All right. Now, we, we were just talking about uh, Miguel Cotto a minute ago, and he's got this fight this weekend coming up against Daniel Gill. Uh, and one of the issues that's come up with that is the catchweight, the 157-pound catchweight that, that he's put on Gill. Uh, as a fighter, how much of a disadvantage can that be when someone is dictating to you to come in three pounds less than you've been weighing in for you know a stretch of your career, or in, in Gill's case, his whole career? Well, who's coming in at 57? Gill, both fighters. Both fighters coming at 57. Who made that catchweight? Cotto. Well, Cotto, see, Cotto made that catchweight because he's small. He went up to 160 because he knew that Martinez was was basically a, a hurt prey, you know, going into the fight. So he went up to 160. He beat him down. 
at 160. Now, Cotto's a naturally small guy. He's a 154-pounder. He doesn't belong at 160, so that's the reason why the catch rate is there. But with me, if you're the middleweight champion of the world, you fight at the weight. You yeah. fight at middleweight. There's no catch weight. I, I don't understand these you know, organizations and these people just making all these catch weights. I don't get it, man. Fight the fighters at their weight. And you look at a fighter like Henry Armstrong, you know, who fought guys. He was a three-division three, three world champion, man. This is back in the days when there was like eight divisions, you know. Three, he won three world championships in, 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 in different divisions. You understand that? Like, he went up to the weight class and fought him. You know, look at a guy like Rocky Montiano who fought everybody, you know, and knocked him out. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I mean, the guy even fought against, uh, he even fought against, um, uh, Ray Robinson did not Ray Robinson out, you know, in his weight. I mean, this guy, this guy was phenomenal. So, stop all this catchweight stuff, man. I hear, you know, Broner's doing the catchweight and all this. I'm just like, man, come on. Let's be a man. If you want to go up and face a guy at the top level, face him. You know, if I'm going to go up to 54, I'm going to go face to face the guy at 54. I'm not going to make 52, 51, all this, because everybody's looking for advantages. It just makes no sense to me. It's skill for skill. That's what it's about. That's what boxing is about. Skill for skill, man. And, you this know, who, who who displays that over and over is Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. He always displays skill. Skill beats anything, any day. It doesn't matter how big the guy is or whatever. But, you know, there's always that catch weight I can't stand. So, um, I mean, it just it, everybody's looking for an advantage. That's the reason why the catch weight is good. This guy Bradley spitting hot <laughs> truth right now on the ropes, just bringing it. Hashtag dare to be great. I, I like that style, Tim. Tim, I want to take you back a step. I'm going to put you on spots. I know you can take it. You rematch Pacquiao in 2014, losing the yeah. decision. I want to challenge you because I picked you coming into that fight because I thought of you course. were going to fight the way you fought against Marquez. I figured by employing that style against Manny, it would frustrate him. Your speed, your quickness, the ability to, to vary your attack. I felt you would get the decision. You fought a different style and you lost. When you look back, do you have any regrets with the way that fight played out in your strategy? I don't have any, don't have any regrets at all because I gave the fans what the fans wanted to see. They saw, they saw a real fight. Um, yeah, granted, I lost the fight. I got a win over Pacquiao already, you know, um, of course, you know, sometimes you look back and you think, oh, I should have, could have, would have. But, you know, at that given time, my mindset was to go in there and try to get this guy out of here. Because I felt like, hey, man, if I don't get this guy out of here, I'm not going to win a decision. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> so that's the reason why I had that mindset. Yeah, I can go back and say, yeah, I should have changed that. She just fought my fault and fight and just let it be let it happen. But at the, at the same time, man, I went in there and I put it all on the line that night. Um, I got injured in the second round. I, I really don't talk about it a whole lot, but I did. I tore my calf. Everybody can take, take my calf out when they see me in Jordan. It's, it's pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Now it's all healed up now. But, yeah, tore my, tore my calf in the second round, but I still was able to go the distance with, you know, the great fighter Manny Pacquiao. And, uh, but, nah, man, you, you make your mistakes and you live with them. That's, that's plain and simple. I mean, I know that now I got to go in there and just do my thing and, and don't don't believe the hype, don't listen to the hype, and go in there and do my job. I respect that. I respect the, the way that you went for it. You know, you, you just took yeah. your chance, you took your swing, you went for it. I but went here's for an- it. Here's an interesting part, though. You know, we just come off of Mayweather Pacquiao. Pacquiao getting criticized for what a lot of people are calling sour grapes. He didn't give Mayweather credit for the win. He's blaming the shoulder injury for the loss. My first reaction was, this guy Bradley, significant injuries in both Pacquiao fights, and you're not really talking about that. So when you hear Manny's comments, what was your reaction to that? Uh, I just, you know, uh, know, I have mixed feelings about that. I I just feel that, you know, first of all, like when I went in in the second fight, you know, I had a I, I suffered injury in the second round, but then after the fight, you didn't hear me talk about it because I was like, you know what, this guy he beat me, he worked hard, you know, in the gym, 
and I don't want to take any credit away from him. You know, I was just like, you know what, he beat me fair and square. Injuries happen in the fight, during sparring sessions, during training camp. Injuries occur, man. I went in that fight, I had bruised ribs. You know, went into the fight, I had bruised ribs. But, you know, you don't talk about it because a fighter's never 100% when he goes in the ring because of the training that he does. You know, he's always, he's probably 90, 95%, 90%, you know, when he goes into the ring for battle because of all the hard work he had to do in the gym. All the hard rounds he had to spar against tough, tough sparring partners. So, you know, I just felt like, man, why are you even wasting your time talking about this, man? Like, take your L, move on, or try to get a rematch. You know what happened. You know exactly. I knew what happened in the, in the, the pack out, second pack out fight. I knew exactly what happened. I was like, man, maybe if I had my legs, I could have done, you know, the boxing that you were talking about, moving around, in and out. But I didn't have that, that mobility in my legs, man. I tore my calf. I tore my calf, my gastroc. I tore it, man. <laughs> and I still was in there fighting. I still we went through that pain, you know, because I didn't want to let, you know, the fans down. I didn't want to let my family down. And I just gave it everything I had, man, because that's what I had to do. But, yeah, just, man, you shouldn't just, just step his mouth closed and then say anything. That's just, from my experience, just be quiet. And he won't be in the amount of trouble he's in now if he's saying anything. Absolutely. Now, Tim, uh, I wonder, like, did you expect uh, Manny to look a little bit better against Mayweather than he did? I mean, obviously, Mayweather has made uh, most opponents in his career sort of struggle in a similar way. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of people hope that, you know, because of Manny's speed, his explosiveness, his sort of aggression, that, that he might be able to give him a different look and it didn't happen. No, no, man. Manny, Manny, Manny closed the gap. Mayweather sat on the ropes long enough for him to be able to punch and, and close the gap. But Mayweather was throwing that right hand that Manny was very cautious. He didn't want to get hit by that right hand, man. That right hand was kind of was heavy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he hesitated to go in, especially when Mayweather was, was sitting on the ropes trying to set a trap for him. And he, he didn't want to rush in there. But that was his opportunity to let his hands go. He saw in the fourth or third round when, when Manny uh, landed that left hand and attacked Mayweather when Mayweather was on the ropes. See, that's what Manny needs to do the whole fight in order to get the decision or in order to, you know, to upset Mayweather or beat Mayweather or beat him more around. But he didn't. He hesitated. He hesitated because Mayweather is a great counterpuncher and Mayweather was luring him in traps. So, you know, the thing that set apart in the fight when I was watching the fight was, was that I thought Manny would be able to keep up with Mayweather as far as conditioning goes. And he wasn't able to. Manny broke down. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Manny broke down. And Mayweather got better. His Mayweather conditioning is at a whole different level. And that's the reason why these guys can't hang with Mayweather. Because his conditioning is at a whole other level. Mayweather just got more, even more relaxed in the later rounds. Because Manny started to deteriorate. And Mayweather was able to land those quick little pop shots in and out. And move on Manny. It doesn't matter if Manny had had his left hand or not. Yeah, I mean, you know, they can fight again. They can fight a hundred times. Mayweather's going to do Mayweather. If he can control the distance on Manny Pacquiao, you got him. You have to make Manny Pacquiao think you got him. Mayweather's able to do that because he has serious conditioning. He has a mental focus like no no other nobody in the in the boxing game. You know, and he'll get the job done. Wow. Now, uh, and in a fight like that where you fought, you know, one of the guys twice, in, in Manny's case, uh, do you, do you, do you uh, watching it, do you ever feel like, you know, end up rooting for, for Manny, the guy that you fought, just because of the way uh, if Manny wins that fight or if he looks really good, then, then, you know, casual fans start giving you more credit for the way that you fought Manny in the past? No, I mean, when looking at the fight, man, uh, you know, I, 
I was, you know, I was going for the American, man. You know, and when I watched Mayweather Pacquiao, it, it has nothing against, I've nothing against Manny, man. Manny's a great guy, you know. I, he's always showing me respect. I, I have nothing bad to say about Manny Pacquiao. He's a, he's a great fighter, man. He's an unbelievable fighter. Like I said, he, he has the best offense in boxing, man, and probably in, the, in boxing history, dude. I look at a, I look at a lot of film, dude. I've never ever seen anybody throw punches the way he punches, different angles, speed. Foot pack, footwork, power—the way this guy does it. It's never been anybody in the boxing history that that has that. I'm serious, especially a small guy. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a guy like that. So he's special, man. Um, but I was going for the—I wanted the American to win. That's just plain and simple. I wanted Mayweather. I wanted the belts to stay here on USA soil, and and that's the bottom line, man. I, you know, I I just wanted—I wanted Mayweather to win the fight. I've done against Manny. That's very patriotic of you. Very, very hacksaw Jim Duggan of you. I like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, hey, man, it, it just makes. I mean, it just makes perfect sense, man. He's like, all right, which guy are you gonna go with? You go with, you know, Manny Pacquiao. He's from the Philippines. Are you going with him? Man, I'm gonna go with the American, man. I, I'm gonna. That's plain and simple. You know, I've been in there with the guys. I, I told somebody asked me, he said, "What does Manny got to do to 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 beat Mayweather?" I said, "Well, I said the best chance he has, he has to get Mayweather on the ropes, and he has to keep him on the ropes and working. You know, he got to make Mayweather uncomfortable, make him defensive." Uh, and, you know, he got to take a few to, to get, you know, three in. You know, he got to take one to get three in. Right. You know, if he's if he's willing to do that, then he, he got a chance of winning the fight. And so what does Mayweather got to do? I said, all Mayweather has to do is control the distance. Don't allow Manny to get get too close to him to be able to let his hands go. I said, Mayweather can control the distance with his footwork, bagging up, catching with the clean right hand, the check hook, the good jab. He can win the fight, and he can win the fight easily. But the minute he sit on the ropes, that's Manny's opportunity. And Mayweather sat on the whoops kind of, kind of a bit, you know, more than what I thought he was going to do. And um, I was like, wow, that Manny didn't take advantage of it. Well, Tim, you remain the top-rated welterweight that Mayweather hasn't faced. I- I'm not yeah. sure if it's possible politically, but considering your style, you're an athletic boxer who can fight the pressure mm-hmm. style if you need, what would be your best strategy to beat Floyd if you had the chance? Well, the best the best strategy was is to, you got to make Mayweather uncomfortable. You can't allow Mayweather to, to, Mayweather to think in the ring. I mean, I don't know how to beat him because he's never been beat, but just looking at him, man, you have to make him uncomfortable in the ring. you got to fight at a high pace. The fights that Mayweather was in close, that was uh, in close against the guys that that were you know hit Mayweather and that were you know won some rounds more than three rounds against Mayweather with guys that went forward at him. You know you look go back and you look at the Castillo fight when he fought Castillo back in the days for the first time. You know Castillo kept closing his distance on Mayweather and making Mayweather work. You know he had good defense after when Mayweather was, you know he would throw and then he had good defense after because Mayweather was looking to counter. But um, you can look at Cotto as well. When Cotto fought Mayweather, he made it a tough night for, for Mayweather because he applied the pressure. He had the right game plan. You know, he didn't win the fight, but that that's what it takes to beat a guy like May- Mayweather. You can't allow him to think. You can't allow him to get a distance. But I'm telling you, what sets Mayweather apart from everybody in the game is, is that his stamina. I'm telling you, man, because what happens is when fighters fatigue or get fatigued, how they start making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when you make mistakes, there's opening. There's constantly open, opening. Mayweather limits his mistakes because of his, his conditioning. He doesn't fatigue. He fatigues a little bit later than most fighters. And that's the reason why he's so superior in the game is because of his stamina, man. This guy, he goes, yeah. I don't know if you ever watched him train. This guy is, is a freak. He's a freak of nature, man. He goes and he's nonstop training. He, he, he works. He has no bail. 
no three minutes and rest a minute or thirty seconds. Like this guy, he'll spar and he'll leave. You know, he'll leave the ring and go hit straight to the bag and hit the bag for twenty five minutes. Jump back in the ring and he'll hit the hand pass for another twenty five minutes. This guy is nonstop. He's the condition is at a whole nother level. He spars 10, 15 minute rounds, man, with three different guys. Yeah, it's crazy. Impressive. Yeah, and that and that's that's the reason I'm telling you. You know, when we get start getting tired, you know, it, you know, I always say, I say, fatigue makes cowards out of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, when fatigue sets in, it doesn't matter what you are, what you know, man. It makes the coward out. Of you. It does because it, pull, it pulls you back from doing what you want to do because you're exhausted. So. What? Mayweather has that superior conditioning, man, and I'm telling you, it's going to be very tough for somebody to beat him because of that. Agreed. Tim, let's get you out here on a lighter note. We've seen you and your family profiled in the past on HBO's 24-7 series. There's one member, though, of Team Bradley who I think we all can agree needs a little more camera time in front of him. I'm talking about your pops, Big Ray. I'm not sure, outside of maybe Ann Wolf, that there's a more intense personality in this game. The guy takes no BS. I don't. Maybe he missed his calling. Maybe he should be fighting in a cage somewhere. But you got to have a good story about just how intense this guy is. Oh man, I, you know what? I got tons of stories, man, <laughs> with with my my father, man. I mean, which one do you want to hear? I mean, everybody, you know, everybody, you know, sits back and they just wondering why I'm the way I am, why I'm the way I can. I can fight through a torn calf and, you know, and I just, you know, pain. He, he, my dad has taught me that pain has to be your friend. Like you have to be able to tolerate pain and, and you have to be accustomed to pain. And when you get accustomed to pain, you, it, you like the pain is never there. You got to forget about it. And it goes away eventually. And that's, and he, my dad was always, now that's victory. Now that's victory. <laughs> and my dad used to tell me that. So, all right, one, one morning we're running up the tram road running up the tram road and I was moving. I was moving. Okay. I wasn't, I was being kind of lazy. I wasn't, you know, moving that fast. And my dad stopped the car and he was like, you, you here to work today or what? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm running. I'm I'm giving you everything I got. No, you're not. He said, hold on to the back of the dang truck. And I said, what? He said, hold on to the back of the truck. And I was like, okay. He said, now you listen. He said, I'm going to go. Alright, I'm not gonna kill you, but I'm gonna go. And if you let go, if you let go, he said, I'm gonna put this mother effer in reverse and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in reverse and I'm gonna run your little ass over. And I was like I looked at my dad, I was like, Oh shoot. I like, man, he I think he's serious. Like he's not playing. My dad is crazy, right? I'm a kid, man. I you know, I'm looking at my dad, I'm like, this dude is crazy. So I grabbed onto the back of the truck. And I, I mean, I was going up this hill, and he pushed it five miles an hour. He's screaming out five miles an hour, you know, and I ten miles an hour, fifteen miles an hour, twenty miles an hour, you know. And then I get up to the point where he wanted me to stop. I stop. I'm, I'm in tears. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm crying, dude. I'm crying, you know, running. And he gets out, man, and he comes up to me. I'm dead to him. He picks me up in the air, dude, and he's like. Jumping up and down, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah! That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You gonna be the champ. You gonna be the champ. You know." And and he just get all hyped up, and so he like he broke me down, broke me down, and then he built me up. You know, at the end when he came and he hugged me and he and he congratulated me and he honored me, and then it was like, man, like it felt good. You know, what I'm saying that connection with my father felt really good because I was happy that he was proud of me for doing what he, what he wanted me to do. Well, so, I love the part where I, one, I promise I won't kill you. That's a love yeah, father, I think. Yeah, he said, I, I won't kill you. 
I won't kill you, but you said, if you let go, I'm going to put this mother effing in reverse, and I'm going to back up and run your little ass over. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was scared, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> But uh, yeah, my father. My father has a really, uh, a really uh, a good personality, man. He's he's all about hard work. He's worked his whole life, um, you know, since he was a kid, and uh, you know, didn't have his father around a whole lot. So that's the reason why I got the I got the full fledged Big Ray, man. And my dad spent a lot of quality time with me, and spent just spent hours with me in the gym and stuff. So I respect my father. I love him to death, man. And he's the reason, one of the reasons why I'm here today, and the reason why I'm the way I am. Well, Tim, my God, what a story. Thank you very much. I mean, that's, nah, oh, man. It's all good, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks it, for listening. Thank you for being yeah. with us. Uh, and, uh, you know, best of luck on June 27th against Jesse Vargas on HBO. Uh, you know, I think we know what we're going to get out of you, which is a, a damn good fight. You're going to get everything, man. You're going to get everything out of me, man. I, I, like I told you, I, I don't want it to go to the decision, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working very hard in the gym, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to give it everything I have that night. That's the war ground, man. You remember Bruce Lombardnikov? We know, we know. <laughs> yeah, so thank you guys, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you Good so luck. much, Thanks, Tim. Tim. Peace. Brian, let me, let me throw a situation at you here. If you are Miguel Cotto and Big Ray... Big Ray has just got you, you know, hooked to the back of his pickup, pulling you. Do you run or do you just give up? Uh, Miguel Cotto is an A-side fighter, so Miguel Cotto would not be subjected to that sort of ordeal because uh, it, Miguel Cotto just is a diva, Rafe. Oh, oh you're, you're throwing shots at, the, at, at, at Miguel? At Cotto? Look, this week, fight week, Cotto Gil, this Cotto's return after a year away, basically, the first defense of his middleweight title that he won last year from Sergio Martinez. We've sort of begun for the first time to criticize Miguel Cotto in the last few months. You know, sort of, when is he going to fight Golovkin? When is he going to certain do, do certain things? as a smallish middleweight who has sort of been hijacking the middleweight title. In the past week, Rafe, this is almost like full-on heel turn. I don't care anymore. Miguel Cotto, you will fight me. If you're going to fight me, you will fight me at my catchweight. You will bend to my demands. And, you know, the big story this week leading up to this Gil fight is this fight will be catchweight, 157 pounds. We don't even know if Gil can make that because of the 10-day limit. You know, he's sort of uh, – sorry, he was, the about, week. he was about 168 or something, 160, almost like 10 pounds almost. And that's a hard cut for him to begin with. It's just very interesting. The interviews in the last four or five days, he had an interview with Boxing Scene where Cotto essentially uh, said that, look, you want to fight me, it's going to have to be at a catchweight. He had a great interview he's with the, the boxing yeah, voice where he said – he just says, I don't care. You, you know, you're going yeah. to fight me at my terms because – I'm Miguel Cotto, and I will make. How, let me. How? Let me, let me get back to what you're saying. But before then, how like scarred is he emotionally from having to fight Manny at that 145 pound catchweight yeah. back in the day? It seems like he's really carrying that with him. Maybe more than you know what may or may not have happened to him against uh, Antonio Margarito in the first time. And it's first a time. And it's you know you can go with the debate and saying you're right and he's definitely leaning back on that as like I'll, that'll never happen to me again and you know you can make the debate that after 14 years of really fighting everybody and Miguel Cotto has he has my full respect I mean this guy is a warrior he's done so much for the sport 
but after 14 years, should he have these demands? Is it okay for a guy who's not a real 160 to hijack the belt? And, and you know, I mean, he told uh, he told the boxing voice in this great interview this week where you know they wanted him to fight Golovkin. He said, "Well, you know, we're gonna have to sit down with Golovkin. He's gonna have to completely bend to all of my demands." Right. Is basically what he said. It's just like, whoa, Miguel. You know how much is too much? I mean, this is we saw him play the A side diva card a lot against Sergio Martinez. You know, from the who got announced first to the who's the name big name on the marquee. You know, at what point should we all sort of be like, hey, dude, you know, slow your roll? Well, even with this Gill fight, just the the story of how we got to accepting Daniel Gill as the as the best not best but as a appropriate opponent for this for his first defense of the of the lineal middleweight championship is is out of this world. I mean, it's it's basically he pulled the Floyd Mayweather bait and switch you remember that time floyd was like oh my he announces my next opponent is going to be devin alexander and everyone is like oh god no. no and then later on you know he brought in i don't even remember who he brought in it was somebody i didn't want to see either it was, it was guerrero oh god yeah so he brings in guerrero he so he sold his guerrero with that with that with that charade Cotto did the same thing you know he's like i'm gonna fight you know cornelius canine bundridge it was like or, a, you know Jorge most, sebastian highland right and 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 everyone is like i you know kill me now when they hear that and he's like oh well how about daniel gill and well sure gill is the guy who got knocked out in three rounds by gennady golovkin and you know he's he's a, a decent middleweight contender but how is that the the a fight that people are even willing to accept well i guess you offer them even something even worse and then you you give them this you know, Gil bounced back from the Golovkin knockout last year to, to outpoint Jared Fletcher, you know, another fighter in Australia, the guy who Danny da- Jacobs destroyed for that secondary belt. It's a tough spot here because in some ways this is a, this is like a uh, a trap fight, you know, in, in in some ways, right? Because Gil's a former titleist. He's, you know, four inches taller. Th- I'm sorry, three inches taller, four inch reach advantage against Cotto. This is actually a legitimately tough fight. But Gil just got KO'd by Golovkin. He's probably on the other half of that. You know, he's 34 as well. He's on the other side in terms of, of where he's going in his career. And he's being made to suck down three pounds when he's a guy who just sort of just barely makes 60 anyway. So it's like people don't really know how to react to this fight. We're just a little bit upset the fact that Cotto waited a full year to come back. Then it's this opponent and not, you know, Cotto. I mean, it really should be Canelo right now, right? It should be Canelo right now. And then we build toward, you know, who's going to have the guts to fight Golovkin. And Canelo was willing to do that fight. We go back, you know, four months into the negotiations. Canelo is sitting around waiting on on Cotto. And this fight should happen last fall, by the way. I know Canelo ended up getting hurt, but but that this fight wasn't going to happen at that point anyway you know so it's just it's frustrating but they could have made it for right now you know canelo was was willing to do that uh and he he wanted to lock in that fight uh for may 2nd before manny and floyd ended up announcing to try and push them off of that date because canelo wants the cinco de mayo date but <laughs> well, it, I, you know Cotto, Cotto is not ready for that you know and hopefully and i guess really the only way that people are rationalizing this fight and and is that it, hoping that one day it will happen? And, and we've heard that HBO has sort of required Cotto to say that okay, after Gil, if he wins, he will fight Canelo later this year. I don't know. No, you know, this Cotto's first fight with Rock Nation after signing that huge deal. I think Cotto's at a point where he's just not signing things that says he has to do anything, right? You know, sure. like he's he's. I don't. Cotto talks like he doesn't believe like he has to do anything, which is true. I mean, no one yeah. is gonna force him to do anything. It's his life and his career and all these things. But no, you know, he had he's acting with this uh, sense of entitlement and this diva attitude. You know, thank you, Sergio Martinez. Is your last great gift to us for calling him a diva. Uh, <laughs> 
you well, know, Cotto had the two fights with top rank, you know, and then he yeah. sort of just left them high and dry. Well, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not shedding tears for Bob Arum. No, here. but it's yeah. just it's just showing you that Cotto's at a point where nothing matters except for right now. And if you are bending to the Miguel Cotto way, and maybe he's earned that, maybe he's going too far. But I, I did get a chance to talk to him this week. I got five minutes with him, and you know, when you talk to Cotto, it's it's a uh, you know man of few words. He's, he's very calculated. To you know, speaks in third person a lot. But you know, I asked him. I, I had a Q and A on ESPN.com where I asked him a few things. You know, about the catchweights. He just basically said I'm a small I'm not a real 160 this is the best this is the only way to make the fight fair is basically what he told me you know and when I asked him what everybody wanted to hear you know would you entertain Golovkin he basically just was like you know I don't I don't have any any time now in my mind to think about that I mean he's really playing his cards the right way by basically instead of putting his cards out for the fold, he's just giving you the finger. You know, he's yeah. like, well, you know, you want to see my ace card? Here it is, right here. You know, you, you, if you want to fight, this is, this is the kind of stuff we, we kill Sergio, or Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. for saying, oh, yeah, you beat me here. I'll fight you at 171, though. We'll see what happens next. Cotto's just like, hey, brah, you know? Yeah. So how likely do you think it is that, that this sort of progression that we're, we're, you know, justifying the fight with actually happens? Cotto, Cotto manages to beat Gil. Cotto then fights Canelo. The winner then fights Gennady Golovkin. Is that happening or, you I know, don't think he's gonna do fight I hear Gennady the Golovkin. money team music playing yes, in the background? You from, do. Yeah. If we're going to take Cotto at his word, and his word right now is essentially being a diva and doing what's best for his family. And, I, and I, again, I put him on the spot in my interview saying people are calling you more you know, businessmen than, than boxer these days. And he's like, well, boxing is my business. And if right. you don't, essentially, if you don't think of it that way, you're thinking of it wrong. So I don't think he'll ever fight Golovkin, even if the team Golovkin bent to the utmost degree. And by the way, they've already said they'd fight Floyd at 54. So I don't even think that would be a problem for them to come down and wait to fight Cotto. I think even if they said, look, we'll give you like, you know, 70 30 on the split, I still just don't think he's going to fight him, especially if he can get the type of fights like you're talking about with, with, with Floyd. But if this gets us to Cotto Canelo, which is a fight we deserve that we want, We'll put up with it to a certain degree, right? We'll sure. put up with it. And, you know, for all of this hate, uh, or not hate, but, you know, all of this criticism of Miguel Cotto, it's it's worth mentioning that, especially in recent years, the heel turn Miguel Cotto has been an entertaining fighter to, to, to watch, right? I mean, he gives us a lot of things oh, to yeah. joke about. In and out of the ring, especially out of the ring, right? We love this guy. For out of the ring, you know, he's the best. Uh, I mean, let's start. Uh, I don't, like we we got a clip. Uh, Miguel Cotto talking about himself in the third person is one of the the best things in boxing right now. You could say, in, if you're kind of perverted. And to do this in front of eighteen thousand fans at Madison Square Garden, what does that mean? You know, being here. Miguel Cotto became Miguel Cotto here. Uh, Miguel Cotto still be Miguel Cotto here at Madison Square Garden. There you go. That was Cotto talking to Max Kellerman after he beat Sergio Martinez last year. You know, Miguel Cotto became Miguel Cotto in yeah. Madison Square Garden. That's why Miguel Cotto is fighting in the Barclays Center exactly. this weekend. Because he's cashing them rocks. Uh, you know, he doesn't care. Look, we've seen him wear the, the, the Crocs, the pink Crocs, the high pink socks against Floyd Mayweather. Not afraid to you know hold hands with his best friend and advisor there, Brian what, Perez. Not and, afraid to sleep in the same bed as he's going to get there on 24-7. They're not afraid to show their friendship up. <laughs> Miguel, you should have saw the, the winter hats Miguel was wearing this week during fight week. At, at, showing up with shorts and a backpack on at some of the press events. I mean, he's beating to the drum of Miguel Cotto. And uh, as we saw in the past on HBO's 24-7, he's got some big drums to beat. Did, did that come out right? <laughs> I, you could say that. I mean, uh, yeah, let's just play that clip. It's a long-held tenet in the sport that there can be no secrets between a fighter and his team. Cotto appears to be taking every measure to let McMillan and anyone else who wanders into the gym know he's got nothing to hide. 
The running joke is they got two rental cars, one that they drive here to, and uh, the other one for his nuts to get here with. <laughs> so it's like... Uh, <laughs> Mr. Nuts? <laughs> Brave, I got one question for you about yeah. that clip. Did, uh, uh what's-her-name get you done yesterday? Who, Mr. Nuts? These nuts! I mean, are you kidding me? Yo, I mean, that's honestly the one thing that HBO could have done to make me excited about this fight was to at least give me two episodes of a 24-7 Cotto Gill. You know, because I need annual check-ins with the Miguel Cotto family. I mean, they are reality See, you know, reality show worthy. I mean, if, if any producers in Puerto Rico need ideas, like make a reality show out of these people. They are a, an eccentric, like the, the wife with all the surgeries, the the kids and the way they're developing over the could years. You, could uh, you imagine Gary Shaw at the negotiation table reading about this catchweight and going, Cotto, you got a lot of balls putting that in there. And then I, he's like, you know, uh, Mr. Nuts. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the annual junk shots of Miguel Cotto. HBO won a sports Emmy for those nut shots. Yeah. <laughs> And well deserved. Let me tell you that much. Uh, Whoa, it's a Rafe, cr- I, yeah. I think the only thing we can do after 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 a sequence like that is really get into this fight. I mean, how how is this going to play out? It's such an important fight right now. I mean, he's the the glamour guy, the number three pay per view guy, the middleweight champion back after a year in a fight that's either going to be really easy because he weight drained a guy who's on the other side of his career, or maybe really hard. Is this going to be Austin Trout all over again? What's what's your prediction? Well, I was at that that fight where Austin Trout managed to outpoint uh, Miguel Cotto in the Garden. Yeah, I was sitting behind Canelo, by the way. Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) I was, seriously. Uh, That that, that sort of was one of the moments of the Canelo face. You know, every time he'd show up to a fight, you know, and then they'd show him in the crowd as his next fight was unraveling. Uh, But, you know, God. I would love to see. I honestly would love to see Cotto get beat. You know, that just means Canelo gets to move on to to bigger and better things faster. And I'm sure Canelo would like to to fight Cotto because it would be a huge fight and one that uh, he probably believes he could win. Uh, but you know, I I I don't know if I can really get behind Daniel Gill more for the the catch weight than anything else. It's I mean, I it's hard sometimes to understand for a, a non professional fighter that how you know three pounds could make such a big difference but you think at 34 about Gil, too yeah at 34 to ask him at how to 34 do this. a guy who's been fighting at 160 his entire career to to all of a sudden shave off 157 pounds you actually said you heard earlier today that he he they're they're making noise about he may not be able to make the weight right yeah and what's interesting is gary shaw the promoter of, of course we've been referencing of Gil, is saying that in the contract there's really no penalty whether it be financial or anything else that the commission would still approve the fight if he came in at say 59 because it would still be a middleweight title fight but Cotto was essentially saying it without saying it look I, I could just cancel the fight you know you're going to fight me at 57 or you're not going to fight me would Miguel Cotto call off the whole event you know and make everybody I, what upset is, what if, what, if they put, what if they put Gil in a sauna and he just can't drain anymore are they going to cut off like a hand or something I yeah, mean look this all plays into into my prediction to cut off your prediction my I, prediction is that the the he just we're, we've already seen an old Gil who's getting you know getting close to an old Gil. I think this weight cut is going to be a problem. I think we're going to be able to see still a fresh, explosive Cotto under Roach, who whether you believe in the Delvin Rodriguez win or the Sergio Martinez win or not, he still looked fresh and you know and, and good. Right. I think he's going to be able to win a decision, if not maybe even get Gil, a durable guy, out of there. Yeah, I, I'll 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 make a prediction because we have to, and I am forced to think about this mess. Uh, I think you're right. I don't. I, I'm just gonna say. I think Cotto's gonna. I hope Cotto looks terrible and wins, uh, and then you know he can continue to uh, 
to do what's best for Miguel Cotto's family after that. Oh, front and center like Greg Brostertag. He just brought that. Yeah. That's that. That's 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 the kind of uh, that's the kind of love Miguel Cotto is getting from people these days. Well, you know, <laughs> oh, man. Hey, that's another episode of the ropes, Rafe. You know, <laughs> that's right. What, what Brian. can we say? You know, we are the people that you find for whatever you may need. I mean, <laughs> if you've got the money, honey, you've got your disease. For sure, Brian. Uh, thanks again for doing this with me. Uh, thanks for meeting me at this catchweight. You know, I was afraid to get in this podcast studio and talk to you across the country without that. Uh, and, uh, you know, as always, we want to encourage all, thank all of our listeners, encourage all of you to go into iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things, say, te- don't say terrible things, but, you know, be, you can be real with us. Uh, get to us on Twitter at Brian Campbell or at, at, at B Campbell, Campbell at ESPN. B Campbell at ESPN and me at Rafe Boogs. Uh, and thank everyone for listening. Thank Tim Bradley for calling in and giving us a great interview and an immortal story about his dad, Big Ray. Uh, and thank the Grantland, the Grantland uh, Network's producers, uh, Joe Fuentes and David Jacoby, uh, without whom we would not be here. So uh, thank you all. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And uh, we'll be back soon. We out. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.